Good morning. I'm Shamita Basu. And I'm Duarte Geraldino. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. But first, let's catch up with some of the day's top headlines. During his trip to Kenosha, Wisconsin, President Trump kept portraying the social unrest popping up all over the U.S. as the work of left-wing agitators. The president also committed to giving more financial assistance to state and local law enforcement, as well as small business owners. In Massachusetts primary elections, Representative Joe Kennedy III conceded last night after challenging fellow Democrat Ed Markey's re-election to the Senate. It's the first time in Massachusetts history that a Kennedy has lost a primary. And under the threat of a possible teacher strike, New York City Public Schools announced it will delay the start of in-person classes until September 21st. It's doing this to better prepare for the challenges of hybrid learning. Yesterday afternoon, the Trump administration announced a nationwide ban on evictions for tenants who can't afford rent right now because of the pandemic. The evictions pause will last through the end of this year. Politico says this is going to affect up to 40 million renters, and it's much more broad than the evictions ban the House passed earlier this year. That ban only applied to federally subsidized housing. Politico explains this order comes from the CDC, And if you're wondering why a health agency is weighing in on a housing issue, well, last month, President Trump signed an executive action directing the CDC to consider halting evictions as a way to prevent coronavirus infections. And now the center is flexing its muscles. Mind you, this is a ban on evictions. It's not rental forgiveness. It's not rental aid. It applies to anyone who expects to make no more than $99,000 this year. And evictions for any reasons unrelated to unpaid rent are still allowed. Officials say the administration has set aside some stimulus funding to offset the impact for landlords and property owners. Another piece of that same executive order is the payroll tax deferment. Now, it takes effect this week. CNBC breaks down how this deferment could affect your paycheck. And to be clear, it's a postponement of payroll taxes, not forgiveness. So the pay increase you may see is only temporary. Mm-hmm. And come 2021, your take-home pay may significantly drop when you're forced to pay those deferred taxes. Trump has promised to make those cuts permanent if he wins re-election. But CNBC notes... Only Congress has that power, not the president. Plus, these taxes fund Social Security. Another major piece of that executive action was unemployment benefits. You'll remember last month when Congress stalled on reaching an agreement to extend unemployment benefits, President Trump stepped in. He said the federal government would guarantee $300 in unemployment checks a week with the option for states to tack on another $100. Yes, you know, 40 states have been approved for that additional aid. But according Mm -hmm. to CNN, many jobless people still have not gotten additional money. One reason is that state departments of labor are backlogged. They have not been able to keep up with the overwhelming demand from people applying for unemployment. Now, this new order is complicating matters. Now, let's switch gears to the student loan front. CNN says President Trump was able to extend payment relief, which was supposed to end next month. And he can do this directly through the Department of Education. He doesn't need congressional authorization to do this. And that means people with student loans don't have to make payments and won't be accruing interest until the end of December.
Hundreds of U.S. colleges changed their reopening plans because of the coronavirus. Some are going ahead with in-person classes, but many will be limited to some form of virtual learning. And a lot of students are not happy about that, especially because they still have to pay full tuition. Yeah, the Wall Street Journal spoke with a number of students who say it's not right for schools to charge full tuition right now. One student said she was frustrated when she noticed her fall semester bills still include fees for athletics and recreational facilities. She's not even going to be on campus to take advantage of those things. Another student, a senior at Pepperdine University, said the school is waiving room and board fees, but it's still going ahead with a planned tuition raise, $2,000 more compared to last year. If you look at it from the college's perspective, Shamita, it's not as simple as closing campus and lowering tuition. Exactly. The journal explains that these higher ed institutions have bills to pay. They've been spending more and more in order to attract students to their campuses. They're bringing on more staff. They're building new facilities like dorms and gyms, labs. Plus, schools might have additional expenses to cover this fall. An assistant professor of education policy from Southern Methodist University tells The Wall Street Journal, In normal times, about 60 to 70 percent of an institution's budget goes to salaries. So figure, on top of those normal costs, now they have the increased expense of providing instruction during a pandemic. That might include new technology and PPE for everyone on campus. There's also less money coming in. Because tax revenue is down, public colleges will likely get less state funding. And because so many people are earning less money, it's likely alumni will be making fewer donations to their alma maters. So there's less money coming in all around. And MarketWatch points out that public colleges, so state schools and community colleges, are the most likely to face funding challenges over the next few years. And these are also the schools that serve the bulk of the country's low-income students, as well as Black and Hispanic students. Now, on the flip side of that, schools that rely on wealthier students, philanthropy and endowments, they're going to be in a better financial position to weather this storm. What's clear here is that a whole lot of students are questioning their fall semester. In a recent survey of close to 1,000 incoming freshmen, 40% of them said it's likely they won't attend college at all this fall. We are over six months into this pandemic. Leaders in science and government are assuring us that a vaccine could be ready as early as this winter. And the world has been hanging on every piece of news about vaccine development. That's why I found it refreshing to read this National Geographic profile about a scientist who made huge strides 50 years ago in our understanding of antiviral treatment. Her name was Gertrude Trudy Elian. And reading the story, Duarte, I couldn't help it. I kept thinking, here is a woman who knew exactly what she needed to do to get her work done. Would everyone else just get out of her damn way? It rings so true for today. <laughs> According to Nat Geo, during the first part of her career, she made a lot of medical breakthroughs. This was during the so-called golden age of antibiotic development. Now, she and her longtime partner, George Hitchings, developed a successful treatment for a host of illnesses like malaria, organ rejection, and childhood leukemia. Hospitals are still using some of her drugs today. Yeah, this profile focuses on Elian's backstory. She grew up poor in Manhattan in the early 20th century. She graduated summa cum laude from Hunter College with a degree in chemistry. She was just 19 years old at the time. You know, no chemistry firm wanted to hire her. Nagio reports... They didn't want the, quote, distracting influence of a woman in the lab. Mm. Well, thank God she stuck with it. During World War II, 
she got a break when the military drafted men out of the workplace. (laughs) Got them out of her way. (laughs) That's when she got hired by Hitchings, and together they had a 20-year run of working together. But it wasn't until he moved on from the lab that Elian achieved her career breakthrough— Connecting the dots between decades of her own research, she developed a successful antiviral drug. And listen, it's easy to take antivirals for granted today. But 50 years ago, it was considered impossible to kill a virus without also killing the cells they were attached to. Nat Geo tells us that Elian worked in secret for four years. She was trying to prevent other pharmaceutical labs from stealing her work to make that impossible goal a reality. Now, the importance of her work can't be overstated. It directly led to AZT. That was the first approved HIV treatment. Mm -hmm. Even the COVID-19 treatment, remdesivir, exists thanks to her work. Now, along with Hitchings, Elian was awarded the Nobel Prize for Physiology or Medicine in 1988. And in 1991, President George H.W. Bush awarded her the National Medal of Science for her contributions to ending suffering and prolonging life. She herself lived a long life. Elian died in 1999 at the age of 81. You can find links to all these stories in today's show notes page. And if you're enjoying the show, leave us a rating and a review. It really helps other people find us. We'll talk with you again tomorrow. 